Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London Blue podcast the reason i suppose the decision was not minutes and seconds, but pretty quick, was because it was this club. This is the one club. Um, so the possibility, the opportunity to manage, having played here, having felt the club, this club, these fans, these players, uh, was huge. It was huge. My opinion is the football is whatever percent tactics, but it's a much bigger percentage of um, environment and drive and positivity and desire and all those things that, that create the basics in football. So I think everyone who knows me or watch me as a player or watch me as a manager and knows how I feel about this club. So I, I appreciate it very much. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by Nick and Dan. And uh, special edition, Jake hit the breaking news, the uh, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do little, little buzzer there, uh, emergency pod. This is not your regularly scheduled Matt Law episode. Uh, unfortunately, in case you missed it, Matt Law was busy today yesterday uh with the scoop that uh chelsea have officially parted ways with super frankie lampard which uh i thought it was great nick that they even put super frank on the memo uh (laughs) releasing him from the club Mm, yeah the the rights of that name i think are gonna stick with him uh, as he leaves but um yeah i mean look this is a it's an incredibly sad day for a lot of fans. Uh, I think majority of your um, reasonable, sensible fans are not happy. You know, obviously we're recording this on Monday. You're listening to it on Tuesday. So if we reference today, that's what we mean is the Monday. Uh, this is a, a tough day. We have been around now, Dan, for one, two, three, four, five sackings since we started this podcast. <laughs> Um, I can conclusively say that this is the, uh, by far the worst of, of the bunch. It feels more like, um, Mourinho when we, when we weren't sure about Mourinho too. Um, but this is far worse than that even. It's shitty. I mean, it's, yeah, let's just start the, uh, the swear jar counter now. (laughs) This is is not going to be a friendly episode. No, no, no. E. Yeah, to to our uh, friends who are parental units who listen to the pod, uh, this might be one that you do not want to listen on the drive with children from point A to point B. Yeah, it, it's it's a shitty day, and you know I think we 
and you know, I think you know, I was listening to the the fan cast recap of it and and got about halfway through before we jumped on here. And I think like JK, you know, just this felt like a long time coming. And I guess maybe I'm a little, maybe more numb. And I definitely don't feel like I had to go through as many emotions today, but it, it still sucked. And uh, that's why we have our wonderful friend Joe Tweeds here to join us in this group therapy, talk therapy <laughs> session where we try to work through everything. And uh, Joe is going to make it all better, I think. Yeah, Joe, make it ba- make it better. Make the pain go away, <laughs> Uncle Joe. So uh, in, in the UK, we have a, well, in certain parts of the UK, I should say, we have a a thing that guys do every now and then when we need to go and have a little venting session and have a coffee. We call it a sappuccino. So this is to me, this is <laughs> going to be the the sappuccino for the uh, for the masses. <laughs> but yeah, it's a strange day. I mean, I've, I've been up obviously a lot longer than you guys and still not fully, fully process what's, what's happened. Um, I think, you know, using the word numb was a pretty, pretty appropriate description because no matter how rational you think decision or you think maybe this is the right decision, it is still Frank Lampard and it's still a guy who I know we'll get into in a second, but, but really probably connects more with Chelsea fans and the club than potentially any manager that has walked, you know, the, the halls of, of Stamford Bridge or potentially will walk the halls of Stamford Bridge. So on that basis, you know, it's a, it's a pretty sad day and uh, yeah, you know, just going to get into the, the ins and outs of this and hopefully at least with some of the content, I know we've got plans, leave people with a little bit more of a, a happier tone than uh than when we started well we'll have to uh see you know how things go but yeah it, this whole episode is just going to be about the frank sacking um some different ways to look at it you know obviously where do we go from here you know i'm pretty confident that thomas tuchel is coming in uh that might be announced by the time you get to this but uh again just a lot of different um um things we can reflect on some memories and and just you know i don't know a lot of different things so Anyways, uh, as we get into this, I think it's probably good to set the stage with the club statement, uh, you know, from Chelsea FC. So uh, on the press wire, Chelsea Football Club had today parted company with head coach Frank Lampard. This has been a very difficult decision and not one that the owner and the board have taken lightly. We are grateful to Frank for what he has achieved in his time as head coach of the club. However, Recent results and performances have not met the club's expectations, leaving the club mid-table without any clear path to sustained improvement. There can never be a good time to part ways with a club legend such as Frank, but after lengthy deliberation and consideration, it was decided a change is needed now to give the club time to improve performances and results this season. Roman Abramovich said, quote, This was a very difficult decision for the club, not least because I have an excellent personal relationship with Frank and I have the utmost respect for him. He is a man of great integrity and has the highest of work ethics. However, under current circumstances, we believe it is best to change managers. On behalf of everyone at the club, the board, and personally, I would like to thank Frank for his work as head coach and wish him every success in the future. He is an important icon of this great club and his status here remains undiminished. He will always be warmly welcomed back at Sanford Bridge, end quote. The club will be making no further comment until such time as a new head coach is appointed. End presser. So that's a mouthful. I need a break. Um, Nick, thankfully, Frank reverting to Instagram, unleashing a fiery response to the club. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we, we didn't not- see this coming. We, it was... Uh- you know, his knives and daggers everywhere, and you know, <laughs> he, might, no. he might not be welcome back, obviously to 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 Frankie's. But so so we'll 
we'll we'll I think we'll go back to the other statement uh, after I read this. But um, Frank said. It has been a huge privilege and an honor to manage Chelsea, a club that has been a big part of my life for so long. Firstly, I would like to thank the fans for the incredible support that I've received over the last 18 months. Uh, That 18 months really puts it into perspective, huh? It's only been 18 months. Mm -hmm. Uh, I hope they know what that means to me. When I took this role, I understood the challenges that lay ahead and a difficult time for the football club. I am proud of the achievements that we made, and I am proud of the academy players that have made their step into the first team and performed so well. They are the future of this club. <clears throat> I am disappointed to not, to have not had the time uh, this season to take the club forward and bring it to the next level. I want to thank Mr. Ramovich, the board, players, my coaching team, and everyone at the club for their hard work and dedication, especially in these unprecedented and challenging times. I wish the team and the club every success for the future. Um, you don't have Dan. You don't have to read between the lines on that one very hard uh, to understand. Uh, I think what he was trying to say on his way out. <laughs> no, I think it, it fucking hurt, and it was raw. And you know, I think we saw the post-match reaction after Luton Town, and I think maybe things make a little bit more sense. There's maybe a little bit more perspective on the reason for that emotion. The reason potentially Mason Mount got the captain's armband that day. And, you know, I think the, we're very much used to, I mean, at least Frank didn't get the corner flag treatment, I guess, you know, positive silver lining. Uh, They gave him the full statement here, but I mean, this, this is a super desensitized and just very clinical. And again, I guess this is going to be the way it is when you think about just any type of official statement, it feels like the, got the executive sign-off on it. I, I doubt these are the exact words from Roman specifically, Joe, but in ultimate, you know, kind of ultimate fashion, like this is just the nature of, you know, how the club is going to put out some documentation and get us forward to the, the next chapter in the story. Yeah, I think on top of that as well, it was interesting. I noted that certainly people that have, have season tickets, or I don't know if people with just memberships as well, that people got a, an individual email from the club, which I think yep. is certainly a first um, in terms of uh, the sacking. I know that we have the uh, the infamous uh, three or four column Excel chart with the the platitudes from the board, <laughs> but obviously the first time Roman has probably really addressed anything publicly for, I mean, really as long as I can remember um, in terms of him. I know that he will, he will occasionally put something in the programme, um, which again reads like it's it's been prepared for him, but... Um, I think certainly a gesture that, that has to be made and it does kind of tally. I, I know that, that Lampard and, and Abramovich are certainly on good terms in terms of, you know, previous to, to what's happened here. Um, I think for me, the Lampard statement is interesting because yes, he does eventually go on and thank the players, but it's very pointed. I know Nick maybe made a very deliberate cough when he was referring to the... Joe, no. Yeah, sorry, I'm, not... I'm casting aspersions here. Um <laughs> very uh, pointed part to, to note the, you know, thanking the academy players that he's worked with. And, you know, but perhaps in, in a few years' time, I mean, you can always look back at things with slightly fonder memories down the line, but it, it was interesting that the, the final goal scored in his tenure was, was from an academy product with a, a team goal that looked like Chelsea's academy playing with all the academy players on the pitch and, you know, Mason Mount with the armband, etc. So, Kind of nice little bit of poetic uh, license or justice for Lampard there. But uh, yeah, the, the the only real thing that I took from, from the statement, as I was saying there, was the, I think that the specific calling out of the younger players, because I think 
certainly, you know, that, that for me is Lampard's legacy is creating that pathway and really making them an established part of the first team squad for probably the first time ever, really, since I've been following the club, have I been confident that we can bring players through. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, it's just, a, I think, a way of, of pointing to some of the, the fallout, which we'll probably discuss in a second, and some of the, the claims that are being made against certain senior players. Brendan, it is interesting to me that Roman, I think Roman felt the absolute need to comment on this, just given yeah. Lampard's status at the club. And I, I don't know if I'm reading into this or if I'm just a, you know, such a sappy, positive guy that I'm I'm looking at things through through different colored lenses. But that statement didn't seem like a door closed to me. Right. And I think uh, a lot of it kind of comes back to, uh, you know, his status at the club. I mean, Maurizio Sarri probably never coming back to Chelsea in any capacity. Frank's different. You, like Frank is intertwined with club lore, history, legacy, and it has to be different because of that. I think if the club gave him uh, Dan's favorite corner flag dot JPEG or whatever you guys call it, PNG, where, uh, yeah, Frank's out. Sorry, we'll let you guys know who we picked. Uh, like they can't. So at least they have a bit of a heart in the sense of how they talk about him, but we're getting into a lot of this, guys. There, there's maybe a lack of it anywhere else. So um, look, for you listeners, we're going to do the three-word moods, all right? Then we're going to do our ad break, and then we're going to get into this because we don't want to let that interrupt in a, in a poorly timed place. Uh, so Dan, I, I'm turning it over to you for a new version of your three-word Fill in the blank. Well, it's an opportunity to try to to crowdsource some some initial opinions here. You know, we had uh, Gabriel and Jay from Discord both on the same page. Then now forever, which was on the the banner that the we are the shed guys put together. Uh, you know, uh, guys and gals who put that together. Uh, Amart with rotating door FC, which is very much been our, our managerial strategy for quite some time. Big Nash with the frankly super disappointed. <laughs> like that. Uh, a couple of. A couple of good ones from uh, Twitter as well. Uh, Amph with unmarry go round. Uh, <laughs> Josie with the my heart dropped and sad crying emoji. Uh, Mango got got a good one here with eyes are sweating, which is a good way to think about crying. Um, <laughs> and Nate with the back after experience, which is maybe what you just teed on there, uh, Nick and Brandon. And then Ollie, our good friend, uh, Ollie Glanville with the keep door open specifically for the academy that, you know, there's a foundation there that we need to continue to build on. But there was also a lot of uh, very uh, pointed ones directed at either players, boo, uh, that that's a, not the right way to go. Um, the board, which you should potentially feel <laughs> aggrieved in how that has been handled and operated. But uh, yeah, there, there were some that maybe were uh, a little even uh, too, too, R-rated for our uh, typical viewers and listeners. Lots of emotions around this one, and and understandably so. Dan, kick us off here with your three-word heartfelt feelings and words and emotions and all that. Yeah, I went with uh, a little more uh, literary history-based, but uh, sort of Damocles. Like, this was always going to be a situation where there was just an overwhelming doom 
in this, you know, relationship with Frank that, you know, as positive as it got at times that, you know, a bad run, a bad run of form was potentially going to lead to this. And so, um, I'm, I'm almost glad the kind of the, the question of hurting can end a little bit too, because we've been on this, like, will Frank get sacked? And it's, it's honestly been, I think a, a really rough December and January as supporters to go through this endless cycle of news story after news story about, will this be the match? Will this be the situation? What does he need to do? I, I'm almost, it sucks, but I'm almost glad that we can stop having that conversation because it was definitely becoming a bit of a, a soul sucking cycle. All right. Um, new from soul cycle, the soul sucking cycle. <laughs> it's a really fun uh, bike ride. All right, Nick, we'll just go to you right after that. Uh, I said this uh, after, after Lester last week, I, I made a pointed case. We're going to talk about it, but what's the plan? What is your plan, Chelsea Football Club? Because I I guarantee you, <laughs> if there were fans in the stands on Wednesday, there would not be an executive in that house. There there would be probably the most vicious atmosphere since Rafa came to the club in 2013. And honestly... You know, look, I mean, these decisions, I know they said they're not made lightheartedly. I know that, but that wouldn't that wouldn't be the worst thing either. Now you get it via social media, which isn't as powerful. But what's the plan? I mean, an unreasonably fair question for you to ask, actually, Nick. So um, I put I have two because one is just super emotional and it's super, super frank because we'll never forget Frank in that words. And it actually just gave me the chills a little bit singing that. But then I also put who is surprised, you know, back to uh, Amart's rotating door FC. This is this is what happens now. Doesn't mean I like it. Doesn't mean I'm okay with it. Doesn't mean I'm happy. But if this caught you off guard, it's only by a matter of days. This really could have happened after Leicester. Could happen after Wolves. It could happen after Burnley. Like this was kind of where everything was going. Um, so it, it, it reminds surprise. you of a Game of Thrones quote, which is, if you think this story has a happy ending, you haven't been paying attention. Uh, that's that's kind of how I feel, but that's way too many words for a three-word. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Tweeds, uh, last but certainly not least. Yeah, I went with Show Goes On. Because, unfortunately, that's the only way to really look at this situation at Chelsea. Now, when Chelsea sacked Roberto Di Matteo after winning a European Cup, after winning the FA Cup, after a little bit of a downturn in form and hired Rafael Benitez, you know, as much as I try to rationalise what the board does and I, I try to think maybe slightly more of a business context, when that happened, I wasn't really surprised, to be honest, anything that would potentially happen in the future in terms of, of, of how things are done. Um, and maybe it's a little bit stoic in terms of looking at the, the Lampard situation, just saying, yeah, the show goes on next, next man up, next manager in. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's such a, a tough situation because I, I think, you know, what all of you are alluding to here is that it's not just, not just another manager. And this was always going to be the issue when, this day came. I don't think anyone's under the illusion that Lampard would be here for 15, 20 years. How fantastic that would that have been? But obviously, you know, those sorts of things are very rare in modern football. But 
the, the, the kind of manner that it's happened, the sort of the, the kind of meek kind of performances we've had of late, kind of devoid of that spirit that we saw certainly last season and certainly in early parts of this season as well, um, kind of whimpering to this sort of sense of inevitability. You know, my favourite Matrix quotation, you know, it's uh, inevitable, Mr. Anderson. You know, you can't sort of avoid uh, avoid some things that are going on. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a great place. But yeah, as I said, the, the show goes on because unfortunately for... Well, fortunately for, for Chelsea fans, you know, we're, we're never apparently... We, we are going to get to a point where we start rehiring managers that we've sacked like 25 years ago at some point. But for the time being, we're, we've still got a good, a good sort of amount left in, in the vat before we get there. But yeah, I think you have to just sort of try and take it on the chin a little bit and, and try and rationalise it in your own way. But uh, yeah, the, the show goes on and, and Thomas Tuchel coming in now, for me, comes into a pretty difficult situation. Certainly if you're reading any of the, the news today, I think that that is a dressing room that is very, very split, um, has a, a pretty distinctive backing for, for Lampard in certain quarters, has a pretty distinctive, you know, uh, uh, agenda against him. And, you know, too cool for all of his coaching brilliance and acumen that I think he has a lot of. I think it's going to be a big test of his man management skills to try and unite that dressing room. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a tricky one for him, without a doubt. A uh, lot to unwrap there, uh, uh, but as promised, we're going to do our ad break right now, get it out of the way, and just kind of clear the runway uh, for takeoff after takeoff. So thanks to these sponsors for financially supporting the show. I'm sure they are pumped to be here for this one, <laughs> but we thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back. All right, all jokes aside, um, there's a lot, I think we started it, it, trying to dissect the what went wrong, maybe the why, timing, things like that. And then we can move into, um, you know, uh, looking ahead to Tuchel if we want to, or just really talking about the staff. And then obviously, um, memories. We want to celebrate a lot of the different things that, you know, Frank brought to the club. So, um, I, I don't know if you guys out there, listeners, have read, but The Athletic is milking this for every article they can, and fair play to them for doing that. But they had a very lengthy one today on, on the whole thing, breaking it down. So we encourage you to go subscribe and pay for the article, all right? We are all subscribers here individually on the podcast, and we think it's good value for money. Um, but we are going to run through some of the top-line things. Uh, and then tweeds, I'm going to let you start to pull one or two out and and, and run from there. So uh, at the top, it looks sounds like Lampard had a very tenuous relationship with the with Marina Granovskaya, and it deteriorated very quickly. Ralph Rognick was offered the interim job last week for four months, turned it down. So clearly, this wasn't completely he unexpected. He didn't take my advice of the lucrative six month contract. What an idiot! Well, it's because yeah. he was offered four. That's the reason. Yeah, really good point. Yep. They didn't okay. even give him the summer. They were like, May, <laughs> gone. Uh, calls were made in recent weeks to sound out Leipzig's Julian Nagelsmann before a deal was struck with Thomas Tuchel. Uh, Leicester game was tipping point, and morning after spent trying to finalize successor. So again, Leicester was the proverbial nail in the coffin on this one. And that's, oh, here it is. Lampard shook players' hands and thanked them for efforts under him after the Leicester match. So it sounds like he had been told that if things didn't change, this would be where it goes. Uh, Petr Cech was involved in talking to New Star's agents as form dipped. Bet he didn't expect that was his job. Uh, some players complained about lack of tactical instruction and not being spoken to for months. 
Desire to re-sign Declan Rice annoyed his bosses. The dressing room felt managers showed no empathy and were hurt by his public criticism. Lampard would have walked out had he been working for any other club other than Chelsea. And I'm assuming that's because just the working situation was untenable. Um, and fair play to, this, to the athletic that said, as is usual, the case when the manager departs Stanford Bridge, there are many sides to the story. We will not have all of them. We're not here to break anything, but we're just here to pick out some of the things that are in the news cycle. Tweed, starting with you, there's a lot of stuff out there. Um, but I guess, where do you want to take the conversation from the beginning? I think the the, the two points that I'd like to touch on, I think one of them is is the Declan Rice situation. And I think more more than Declan Rice, it's the the recognition that I think the coaching staff realized in the summer that if they wanted to they wanted to sort of progress as a team, they needed a really top-tier defensive midfielder to put in the middle of the pitch to potentially play Mount, Havertz, Cover, whoever it's going to be around them, um, and let them be the the sort of the main focal point of the team. Um I can see why the, the Declan Rice thing would potentially irritate people at the club. You've let a guy go at 14. He's gone on to become um, sort of one of the, the best holding players in the Premier League. You know, the, the reluctance to sign a guy and bring him back in from a club's perspective and Lampard potentially maybe harping on about that continuously certainly is game after game after game. There are, you know, there are canyons of space and chasms of space in Chelsea's midfield continuously during games. I know we've... We've often spoken about that. So I think that's certainly one thing of, of interest is, is how the, the Rice situation panned out. be interesting to see if, if if Manchester United continue their form and win a Premier League title, how many of their fans will be concerned that they brought back Paul Pogba for 80, 90 million or whatever it was at the time. I don't think that necessarily will be a, a huge thing that they'll all be concerned about. And again, I think you have to say that for the money that was being thrown around for Declan Rice, for a, a club to sanction a £72 million bid for a goalkeeper who probably now doesn't start for any Premier League team, the the concern to spend that sort of money on a player who probably does massively improve the team, it, it gets a little bit murky there. Um, I think the second thing really, it's a little bit of combining the Leicester game and some of the tactical stuff. Um, I think that this probably is is a fair critique of, of Lampard. Um the the way that the the team went into that Leicester game, the selection, the personnel, the the tactical instructions, you could say a little bit potentially that, that the players down tools, and it wasn't necessarily you know a game that was was kind of won through Leicester's quality. They just sort of kind of they wanted it a bit more in some capacity, but I think that game for me kind of reflected really just the the lack of of maybe variety that we've seen, and I know we've we've touched on this a few times, and I've I've made the the point a couple of times previously that. I think that the lack of experience to to create dis- different systems, to navigate difficult moments, to figure out ways of of getting kind of more from your team, even though they're depleted or your your kind of you know your first choice personnel are not available. Those sorts of skills that come with time and management and come with with getting a feel for situations. I think Lampard potentially at the moment lack, lacks that contact and that delicate touch to balance some of those those ideas. And I think the Leicester game. Possibly the Manchester City game as well is one that comes to mind, where when the sort of the plan A stopped working after 15 minutes against City, I think we were okay for the opening minutes when they when they got on top and scored. Um, real rule devoid of any idea, it seemed it was just sort of a you know kind of go and go and see if you can get the game back, lads. And I think Leicester was pretty similar from minute one. Team went out of the races. Um, 
looked really unsure of who was meant to wear, particularly without the ball. And I know a lot of people on social media focus entirely on how teams attack and how you build up. But for me personally, it's the defensive shape, the lack of structure, how when we defend the the massive amounts of space between the defence and the midfield, the the fact that uh, is it Ndidi, the, the, the DM at Leicester, just completely and utterly bossed the game in first gear. Um, you know, I think Leicester are a good team. I think Brendan Rodgers is a good manager, but they're not a, a position where they should be beating Chelsea in first, first or second gear, coasting to a victory. Um, and that, for me, would have been the the alarm bells after that game was just a lack of lack of real, you could say, execution of the team for whatever it was Lampard was trying to do. Um, and I think again that the fact that it just it's it's unclear at this point in the season when you know players aren't fully fit, players are, are playing for injuries, players are tired. Once we've kind of gone past that run until it hurts and press and press and press and press and push and push. Once that's no longer a viable option, I think that dip in form has coincided a little bit with a lack of variety in how to attack teams, how to break teams down when you can't run five million mile, you know, five million more miles than leads during a game, for example. So a little bit of exposure on the tactical side of thing, but I think also just taking you back to the initial point and closing it off here, you know, Lampard, I think was pretty adamant. I would say the coaching staff were pretty adamant that they needed a holding player. And I, I've, I'm going to find it very interesting to see how Tuchel in particular solves this, this issue of Chelsea's lack of more defensive quality, because even the, the looting game, one thing I noticed was just how bad Chelsea are at tackling. And it's such a basic concept to make. But there were so many times where we had two men around around a player, pincering them, she really could have won the ball. And this is Luton. I mean, no disrespect to a champion, championship team, but nobody could get a foot on the ball. Nobody could win the ball back. And then they, they managed to play out from us. So, you know, how do you counteract a midfield that not only doesn't really have the profile of player, but also really maybe beyond or people beyond Kante, Mason Mount can't really tackle to save their lives either. So it's uh, it's going to be tricky. But th- those two points, I think, were, were of interest to me, Brandon. Probably probably really fair points. I, I definitely piggyback on some of the tactical things. You know, I talked about it a little bit recently. If, you know, teams wanted us to have the ball because the more yeah. ball we had, the more imbalanced we became and therefore easy to pick off. And, and so I, I definitely, I, I try to register a lot of those things. You know, you talk about lack of experience and in, in, in a big time you know, assistant, you just think, Oh, what could a Steve Holland do with this? But, um, there's a, there's a lot of things I think to be upset about Nick, you know, albeit, (laughs) you know, maybe how the club decided to handle it. How long have they been working on this? Who knows? But, um, you know, from your perspective, I guess, you know, what is your kind of the, the, what of the problem? And then, you know, obviously you're very rationally asking what now, and guess what? Here it is. You're up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, this is the. It, it goes back to the point I made post last year, which is all right. You did it. Congrats, board. Now it's on you. The whole thing's on you because the rest of the year now, you're putting a new manager in a damn near impossible situation, and that that guy's gonna have to do work miracles to string a top six finish together, let alone a top four. So I I just, I want to make that point because I I don't think people realize, like, I I think we're so conditioned as Chelsea fans to like, oh, new manager bump and we're back, right? It's happened before. And I think that everybody's just like, man, I can't wait for the new guy to come in. We're going to get that bump. We'll ride it for 18 months and then we'll get on to the next one. And that's the crazy train that I referenced, right? This is not that situation. This is hard. This is more like hitting number two 
than it is any of the other things. So I want to make that point. Second point I want to make is I saw a lot on Twitter today about player power. And after reading some of the anecdotes and stories about bust-ups and players who felt ignored and all this stuff, that is the thing that a guy like Sir Alex Ferguson never put up with and never never even got remotely close to being you know, worked over on. Like he controlled everything at Manchester United. Chelsea have basically ceded power to the players in almost every point. And when they don't want to perform or when players feel aggrieved that, you know, lesser performance happens. We've seen that happen multiple times. Um, and I find that really interesting because I don't think it's a sustainable model. I know that it's a there's a lot of investment in the players and the players should be heard out. I mean, it's a professional workplace, so I don't want to like say there isn't anything going on there, but you're never going to assume control if you're, if you know that you have to walk on eggshells around people. I mean, that's just the the last point there. And then I, I do think that if the club always had it in their minds, Dan, that this was a one year solution, which it kind of sounds like, could have been the case after the end of last year that there were there were some rumblings and things were going to be hard this year and Lampard would have had to you know bat a thousand to get through this year and win the Champions League or something I don't believe that's how you treat a manager you set expectations personally that's just my take and I would find a lot of problems with that a lot of stuff there but yeah, I think the overarching message that you have, which is what I've taken away from Matt's article, Liam and Simon's reporting, you know, the ch- people trying to CSI exactly which player <laughs> it was that caused <laughs> caused the, the dust ups at the, you know, the Cobham. It, it's it's dysfunctional leadership at the top is the biggest issue, right? You you have a bloated squad that has way more players than it needs to have, which is going to cause these type of situations where people mm-hmm. are trying to get minutes and trying to get time. They're not getting the opportunities. You have multiple people in, you know, you have multiple modes of players that we have recruited. You know, we have not recruited a particular style of player for a significant period of time. So you go from, the signings under sorry, which are going to go down as maybe like one of the worst windows we've ever had in the history of this side. Uh, you know, we have Conte players on this team still. We have Mourinho players on this team still. Uh, we have Mourinho two players on this team still. Uh, we, we have new Frank signings. We have board signings. It, it is just a hodgepodge. And it is just created, I think, a situation. It's untenable. It's untenable to build an organization this way. And I think the question will have to be asked now is, is to, you know, Tuchel comes in and on this 18 month deal, what will the situation be? Do Chelsea say, we are going to play this type of style. This is the type of manager we go after. These are the type of players that we acquire and we will make the occasional, you know, acquiesce. You get one, you get one player that. But you have to accept that this is what we have and this is what we have on offer. 
and I think, you know, need, needs to clear house. Like we have, we have too many players that should have been gone. And this would have potentially put, you know, if the players are really what pushed this over the edge, Brandon, and going to the board, in addition to maybe the, the lack of maybe some of the tactical acumen, the willingness to kind of change the points per average, which again is the, the lowest for a manager in the Roman Abramovich era of Chelsea. I, I, there, there has to be introspection and reflection. And if there's not that, then you sacked Frank Lampard and you hope someone learns a lesson, but it doesn't seem like the way that this club is operated, uh, that that is very likely at all. You've empowered bad behavior at that point. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't, I don't know about this whole player power thing. It, it, really? No, no disrespect for the squad. Who? Who would the board listen to? You don't have JTs. You don't have Lampards. You don't have Drogba's. You don't have Petr Like, we, we have a piecemeal squad. Like, we don't have... It, I, I mean, I can understand that Keppa is a friction point for the administration, the club hierarchy in this, because of his price tag. And they obviously don't want to go down as a monumental disaster financially, which is it looking like. But, like, I, I don't know really other players in the dressing room who you could sit here and be like, oh, yeah, it makes sense the board listened to them and, like, took things into account. I, I don't know. I guess Aspie's the kind of longest-serving senior player there, and I don't see him doing that, but I could be wrong. I Look, when I think player power, right, I think to Drogba, JT, Lamps, Czech, who, like, won everything and had plot power. I, I just don't see that dynamic in this dressing room. If anything, it'd be more complaining. But again, I don't want to go down that road because tweeds to me, another, you know, thing coming out of Matt law. Again, if you like our podcast, go subscribe to the telegraph, support Matt, amazing guests that we've had the honor to, to have on our show a lot this season. You know, he's talking about, Fourth place was never considered a success. Abramovich was influenced by the statistics the chart Dan talked about. And his three-year contract was really only two with an option for a third. All of these things, like, I I just kind of go at it and it's just like, you know what? Like it or, or hate it, which I think everyone is being very vocal which side they're on. This is This is Chelsea under Roman Abramovich. This is... For better or for worse, what helped Frank win all of those trophies that he did in his career. But I think the 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 point was I think everyone is looking for some continuity, for a little bit of stability and some long term stuff here that we're just now not getting. Back to chop and change. Can I, can I, Joe? I'll pass to you in a sec. But I, I think I want to make this point because most people in my life know me as a pragmatist, in in a big way. I want to find a way to make things cool, but I want to find a way to make them work. The guys here on the podcast will know that as we tackle side projects, right? With Frank Lampard, I allowed myself to be an idealist, which is a little odd for me. And it's odd for me because I thought, wow, club legend, pathway to the youth, the only guy who's done that. <laughs> Really, I mean, I know Sorry brought through Ruben and, and Callum a little bit, but like the only guy to really push a lot of youth players through and to capitalize on the investment that Roman and Co have made over the last, you know, almost 20 years now. 
And Joe, I think that's where why I maybe feel more stung is because they knew that he didn't have a lot of experience. They knew that maybe he was a little a little uh, raw for the job, and and they went down that pathway anyway. And and I think that's the a little bit hard to reconcile for for that part of my brain right now. Yeah, um, I think the 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 lack of experience thing, which is I think something that certainly underpins a lot of the decisions that have been made this season, how things have been navigated from Lampard's part. That was absolutely, you know, part of the equation of hiring him. Um, you know, I, I, I know we, I kind of mentioned this in the WhatsApp. This was the question that I wanted to touch on, but I'll, I'll speak about it a little bit in detail now. When when Chelsea hired Frank Lampard, the caliber of manager that Chelsea look for typically, the CV, the trophies, the profile, or you know, the the hot property in Europe. Like when Chelsea went for Andre Villas-Boas, he just won a treble. You know, he was the hot. He was the hot young thing in Europe. That caliber of manager that Chelsea typically go for was absolutely nowhere near being interested in this Chelsea job. They saw the squad. They saw Chelsea was selling their best player in Eden Hazard, mm-hmm. player that had pretty much had the entire team built around him for five, six, seven seasons, losing that player, and then that they were going to have to effectively piece together a a, a side that still qualifies for the Champions League. Um, with a group of returning loanies that they would have absolutely no idea about, guys who effectively to them were championship caliber players. You know, this notion that that you know Lampard um, was you know picked ahead of all of these fantastic caliber and these amazing candidates is just patently sort of untrue. So Chelsea absolutely, to to Nick's point, absolutely knew that they were hiring a guy with one year's worth of experience at Derby. Did did a good job at Derby. I think the fact that they've fallen so far under Philip Koku, certainly, um, I've not seen them recently, but when I've watched them, they certainly fell massively away from, from being a playoff calibre team. We suggest that Lampard maybe does have something about him. And certainly there have been games this season and there were games last season where Lampard tactically was very, very steep, both the you know when we, we kind of switched to the, 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 the back three in certain games, I think the, the Tottenham game, the City game that we played as well. There, ha- there have been moments where he has shown some quality. But those growing pains that were to be expected, I think certainly looking back to how Chelsea have, have maybe perceived overachieving managers historically, which is not something that they were going to tolerate. As soon as they saw names on the market, still the Pochettinos, Tuchel obviously recently, you know, they would look to make a move and, and look to, to, to move him away. And I think that the thing, certainly going back to, to maybe Brandon's sort of point originally, that the only positive that I take from this Lampard situation really well, not the only positive, but sort of a long-term thing, is if the club over the next couple of months in terms of the team selections and what Tuchel has been briefed on and potentially in terms of the summer transfer window, if there is a continuity in playing the younger players that we've seen, um, but also the, the profile of players that we've actually tried to, to go for. Yes, Havertz and Werner haven't panned out as we we would have liked. Hindsight is twenty twenty in every single case. But those profile of players that we were looking at, the elite youngsters, the elite under 23s going to buy those sorts of players. If there is a continuity and overarching philosophy, I'm someone who personally believes that the club, the club should be the, the safeguarders of that philosophy. You know, the to to Dan's point earlier about the squad, the reason that we are in the position we are with the squad that we have been is because we've basically just morphed into the the personality of whatever manager is currently the incumbent at the time. You know, you go from 
Um, Jose's a very distinct style, holding players, Diego Costa, to a guy that wants to play a back three that requires wing backs, an entirely different new profile of player. You go from that to Sari, who is a completely different cat in general. And then to Lampard, who again is, you know, you're talking about the four managerial appointments. You know, you couldn't draw a straight line between them if you tried. And um, I think where other teams potentially get, get things right, and I'm looking maybe at Southampton here, they tend to appoint similar. They have like a, they have a philosophy that they want to try and implement. They tend to try and appoint managers who are similar in terms of that theme. So my my kind of concern, long term concern here is, you know, I know Nick's kind of asking what is the plan. I want to see over the next couple of months that the club just haven't got the best available manager on the market and now conforming to to his ideals and, and his personality and his style of play, because that could potentially mean that all of the work that Lampard has done to establish young players to give Chelsea a different way of competing with these you know, the likes of City and other teams in terms of the, the financial power that they have beyond the, the sort of the exceptional circumstances we've seen by giving them that route to the academy, then allowing them to go and spend money on, on top tier players. That for me is a route for Chelsea to get that competitive advantage to actually compete with these teams. And if we throw that away to the side now and we just start trying to build this um, PSG light or Diet Coke version of, of the team, um, and that to me is, is going to be the disappointing thing because there's no real positives from the Lampard sacking. It's it's going to sting for a while. But if the club are committed to this philosophy, which they seem to be on the path, um, I think in, in a year, in two years time, if you can see that that is something that's being continued and, and the development is there, and I could I could possibly stomach that and say, okay, you know, they made they made the best decision at the time, but they stuck to their principles. I just don't want them to be in a situation where we see yet again we are conforming to the the completely other guy manager who will need to go and sign another six players in the summer to get the team looking anything remotely competent. It's about for me trying to establish something which goes beyond managers, and I'm hopeful now that we can see that happen. Fingers crossed, but as we've mentioned before, I'm not entirely sure that the club will have the. The, the conviction to, to stick to that decision or that pathway that they've, they've undertaken. Dan, I think one of the points that we've seen a lot, maybe a, that people don't blame Frank and tweets touched on is not a lot of people wanted the job last summer. He'd only managed Darby for one season. He's, he's genuinely, generally accepted as unproven, lacking in experience Maybe it's just the job too big too soon is what some people have said. But it, if anything, we hope he obviously bounces back and, and doesn't give up the, the the managerial run and he can go and maybe go to a, a less pressure field. It's always weird when you bring Frank in too because there's all these emotions that just run a little bit differently because him as a player. But I think that is one thing that you know probably ended up hurting him and it's not his fault. If Chelsea asked me to come wash soccer balls i would do it because holy shit working for chelsea is amazing would it be a great job no but there's that pull and like even frank said he can't say no to it in hindsight probably wasn't the best timing well it's just interesting if you look at the dichotomy of the path that john terry took and the path that frank lampard took and right now you have John Terry, who's an assistant to Dean Smith at Aston Villa, who are flying, and I'm sure that he's learning a lot. And Lampard, you know, goes with Jody and heads straight to Derby as the the face of the organization and, and as the manager. And it, it's not something that is, I think, relatively common in English football. Uh, and you may be able to correct me for all of European football, uh, Joe. But like the idea of what happens in the NFL, like when a head coach gets fired, 
one of the ways that they rebound and rebuild appropriately is they go and take an assistance position in another club or another team to try and build up and, and learn and figure yeah. out what they can do differently to apply their trade. Like, I, I don't think he's going to be joining my New England Patriots uh, this offseason, uh, Frank <laughs> Lampard. But they could use I, I mean, they need a quarterback. So potentially, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, someone who can ping some balls down the pitch. Um, but ultimately, like, you know, that seems to me like the, the type of situation where, you know, it might have been a little too early. It was the confluence of a particular type of situation where not a lot of people wanted the job. You were going to have to rely on the academy. Jody and, and Frank knew the academy extremely well and the other players in the organization there and really got to take advantage of what is institutional in Chelsea in that moment. And so I think what I will always take away from this period, you know, there were some wonderful results in matches. There were some terrible fixtures and runs of form um, that were frustrating. But the way that we got to take advantage of the Cobham crew and the academy and really institute them as Premier League starters um, and have that pipeline of players going out and other players now where we're like, man, what happens if Conor Kelliger comes back? What happens if Mark Gahey comes back? And like, what does it look like to continue to generate this type of talent um, and be excited and have them integrating appropriately is like the that will be the legacy that Frank has left behind with this side that he managed. Uh, allow me to again interject, Joe. I, I, I've heard this argument all day. Was it too soon? Was the job too big? Was all this kind of stuff? And like, you, Dan, you just made the argument why it wasn't. It, it was the time where Lampard should have come in a way, right? I, because what he had at his disposal and the assistant managers that he had at his disposal were people that knew these young players and were probably the only people on planet earth that, that could have grabbed them from the sidelines or from loans or from the Academy and said, it's your team now (laughs) time to time to grow up quickly. Right. And we're going to help you, but this is, it, it, you you are crucial to this project. You're not you're not just a nice to have. You're a need. And Joe, that's where like I I know there's a lot of you know back and forth on this, but I, I play the other side of that argument because without our young players last year, where do we finish? Yeah, no, I mean I, I completely agree. The argument this season for all the money that Chelsea have spent, I still think your top five players probably has a, maybe three academy players in it. And that's even with, as you say, the, the ridiculous amount of money that we've spent on players in the summer. Um, yeah, I think last season, I think so many people are trying to place it in a, a kind of a rational context in terms of how Lampard was hired. Chelsea will probably never ever, and I'm probably saying this with like a 99% degree of certainty, will probably never ever hire a manager from the championship again. You know, it's it's that, that sort of thing isn't going to happen. But then, as you say, you have to take into the correct context of the situation that you have certainly in Jody Morris and obviously with the promotion of Joe Edwards, two people who are uniquely positioned in world football to actually potentially put together a team with guys that are coming back from loan. They've coached them, you know, they know them in- intimately. And in terms of Lampard, yes, I mean, we, I, I do, you know, I do genuinely think that that he would be best served going to a championship club, league one club, whatever, and really developing his style and giving himself a good three years of coaching experience. But if you're Frank Lampard, 
and you see this unique opportunity to come and manage the club that you absolutely, without question, love. And you're probably, again, sort of to, to reiterate this over and over again, you're probably the only person who has the the, the courage of your convictions and the balls to come and take that job. Um, then I, I think you, you have to kind of ride with that decision somewhat. And I certainly think last season, you know, the amount of people who were trying to rewrite the the sort of the, the narrative at the end of the season, oh, we, we always expected Chelsea to finish in the top four. And, oh, you know, they've got a great squad. And look what they did the season before. Like, let's let's just ignore the fact that we've got 90% of our attacking threat has just gone to Real Madrid. Um, <laughs> but but the, the achievement of actually doing that with such a, a young team and an experienced team, you know, the creation of these talents and certainly this season, I know Reese has had a little bit of a dip post-injury, but he's kind of back to sort of the level we've seen like creating, I think, in Mount and Reese James, two players who probably are at the level where Chelsea could play them and win titles. That, that to me, is, is critical. And as I think, as Nick was saying last season, you know, without a manager who comes in and actually you know, makes the decision to, to play Reese James instead of keeping Zappa Costa, to, to keep Mason instead of, you know, however many midfielders or whatever it was we had last season. Same with, with, with Tamori, same with you could go with Tammy Abraham, you know, getting rid of some of these players on loan, Batshuayi, et cetera. Um, you know, without a manager making those decisions and being positive towards the academy, I don't think we finish in the top four. Um, and then, you know, again, probably the, the, this we were in a, a completely different conversation at this point in time. But it's it's interesting to see how how things flow through the the, the sort of the, the course of, of analysing them. But I, I do think that there needs to be a little bit more context, I agree with Nick, in terms of Lampard's initial appointment, how he actually navigated last season. Um, and certainly, the I think the impact that he will have um, certainly on Reese James and Mason Mount's Chelsea careers because I think they will be mainstays or they should be whoever the manager is here. Other players you may you may make arguments for, but I think those two certainly look like um, long term prospects here. But yeah, it's it's peculiar that I think people are so quick to to write off the job he did, the willingness to take the job, you know, and, and really in, in the grand scheme of things, potentially the only person and maybe the only group of coaches last season who really could have got that tune out of that squad. Uh, interesting question here from Millhouse and Discord says, do y'all think that Frank would have been saved by the fans if they were allowed to be in the stands and were singing his name every game? Millhouse, I hate to break it to you. No chance. As much as we think that supporters are the, the lifeline of the club and the blood, I, Roman got to do what Roman's going to do, Nick. It doesn't matter what we want. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're taking that question literally, i.e., the fans are still behind him in the stadium, but the results are the same, then yes, I agree with you. But it, you can't answer this question except to speculate. So I'll just speculate. If <laughs> opening the doors, wildly speculate, but but it but it is an intriguing thought exercise. If, if Chelsea, we were there at the beginning of last year. We know how rocking that stadium was, right? It, it was an incredibly. It, we saw the first home Premier League win against Brighton in, at the end of September in that year. Remember, it wasn't like a flying start to the season. Um, I I wonder if you make it through, if, if there is no COVID-19 pandemic, you're allowed to have fans of the stands, start of this year with all the new energy. I wonder if results are maybe a little bit different. And it, I again, think, I, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, I think the thing is it's, ultimately easier to sever ties with Frank Lampard when you know the next home game is not going to necessarily have supporters who are frustrated or upset at the way he was handled. Like, I think it, it, it 
if you're thinking about making a decision and you get to make that decision mostly when you can plug your fingers in your ear holes and, you know, go la 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 and not have to hear about some of it, I think it can make a situation easier. And so maybe that is where that was, a, I'm again, this is a speculation question, right? But I think in my theorizing is it was probably easier for them to sack Frank now than if, you know, it got to a point later in the season when, you know, maybe results were similar, maybe they stayed the same, maybe they got better, but ultimately they did want to kind of part ways. If you have fans in the stand, I, I, I do think that changes where they are, how they might make their decision. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, um, I mean, I, I cast my mind back, I think, to Mourinho's, the, the, the really, really bad end to Mourinho's second season here. Uh, unless I'm having one of those sort of weird mind tricks where you're kind of misremembering things. Fans in the stadium were massively behind Mourinho, literally until he left. And this was Chelsea. I mean, the, the situation we're in now and then, like this like now looks like Nirvana. We are in a perfect state compared to the, the, the <laughs> end of that 2016 Mourinho campaign. And fans were still massively behind the manager in the stadium, I should add. The support he had was was exceptional. Um I could see I could see similar being had for, for for Lampard. And I do think for certain players, players you know that have been named in these articles and things that are coming out, I do think there is a little bit of a, an effect on them when they hear the amount of support that the manager has versus their kind of personal opinion on things. Um I do think that there is something to be said that that potentially some of these players maybe don't kind of go the, down the same route that they potentially have um, or maybe fall into line a little bit more and aren't as maybe aggressive through their agents trying to speak to, to Czech and to, to Granite Sky, et cetera. Um, whether things would be manifestly different, I agree with Nick, it's just a, it's a forte exercise at this point in time. But I do feel that certainly with a little bit more backing, and this, to be honest, this probably goes for every Premier League club. We've seen now that home advantage no longer really matters that much. Um, you've even seen it in the in the NFL, the Bucks have won three away games in like the first time it's happened in however many years because there's no fans there. Um, you know, seeing the, the lack of supporting a stadium really has an impact on, on the home and away team. So I do think there is a little bit to be said um, for, for the fans being there to back Lampard. And I, I'm absolutely 100% certain that he would be getting unequivocal vocal support from every part of that stadium. Um, unfortunately, I think now that we have the, as you say, the pandemic and no fans in there, I think it, it, it makes that decision a little bit easier because I think Nick said at the beginning of the episode, you know that you're not going to go into that Rafa situation where he gets announced in front of everyone, 45,000 people and gets booed to the absolute, I mean, I was there that day and it was absolutely, it was mad to, to actually hear that amount of noise come out of people and certainly from parts of the stadium that don't normally say that much to hear them come in as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think it's, it's interesting, but as I say, it's uh, it's it doesn't really matter now, does it? He's he's unfortunately he's he's gone, but I do think it would have made a little bit of a difference. I think the the one thing, and you know, we kind of have circled this a little bit before we kind of move on to some of the other topics, Brandon. But I think the one thing that probably should not be happening that seems to be happening is the the blaming of particular players. Like there have been oh, people yeah. going at. Kai Havertz and, you know, f for getting COVID, saying he should go get COVID again. Um, you know, people going at Timo Werner. Well, jokes on them. That's not how COVID works, idiot. Well, uh, they, we never said they were intelligent in their, their aspersions. Uh, but like, you know, ultimately, like, you know what? Play players did, you know, like they did not integrate as well as they could have. They did not perform. But like, ultimately, like, it's not one individual player 
um, that has caused this situation. Like it is a, a multitude of different things. And so I don't know. I, I just, I can't get behind this idea of like attacking, you know, players in particular. I mean, look, if it were to come out and say like, Hey, these are the three players that lobbied the board to get rid of Frank Lampard. That's a different kind of conversation, but like player performances on the pitch, acclimatizing challenges there. I, I don't know if we can, you know, endorse that. But that's not a thing. You still blame the board for being, for listening to that. Like, look, does do you all love your bosses? Every boss you've ever had? Probably not. Does that make them a bad person? No. Like, do you think Marco Alonso is pro Frank Lampard right now? No, but that's a part of the gig. That's a part of the job. Like he's not there to befriend everyone. Now, to be fair, he should probably have a professional relationship with everyone because that's also his job. But like I, I agree. Like you can't go start targeting players, and if you do, like I think you just need to question your motives as a fan and who you're here to support. Um, it doesn't make sense. Like apparently, people are going through and like all right, this player, this player, this player posted goodbye, Frank. This one didn't. Look, even me, she posted. So you know he was a good guy. <laughs> but these six players didn't post anything. By the way, Drinkwater posted that he is finally out of Chelsea. So if you want a, a little light news, apparently he's not pro-Frank. But does it matter? No, it doesn't. Like, uh, Stop going after players. To Dan's you, point, you'll you be... You, you're chasing the wrong dog, you dummy. Yeah, you make a fair point. Is that like the the club should figure out a way to end that type of influence um, and figure out how to make that happen? Um, and it's I think comes in holding a little bit of a firmer line. I think it's not having a squad of so many players who are trying to buy for minutes and saying, "Look, if you're unhappy, we will find you a move." But like we are respecting the decision of the performances that are happening and like let, they need to stay out of it. Let me clarify. I'm fine. If the board want to talk to players to get feedback on how they feel, yeah. should the board solely base their decision off a few disgruntled players? Hypothetically? No, they should not. That, that is my clarification. It's, I it's a bit, uh, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy though, right? I'm not playing. Thus everything is bad. And then when I do play, I'm not playing well, which is also the manager's fault because I'm not getting the extra love and attention. I like that you you can see that snowball out of control, and it has before. I mean, that's not a, like I'm not telling anyone anything breaking news here. Like when when Joe mentioned players downing tools, like that's exactly what that is. Like that it's it, you know whether it's intentional or not, it's poor performances that lead to a manager sacking, and. That's where I think the club have to get really, really um, scrupulous moving forward to understand the types of personalities that are coming in. Because, look, Frank Lampard had tough times as a player, even, right, where, where he wasn't playing well, and especially kind of towards the end, you know, he was frustrated. But, you know, it is... It, it, there, there's too much money, there's too much investment, and the club should have too much invested in their own strategy to, you know, to allow a handful of disgruntled uh, performances or players to affect the whole thing, right? Like, that's what I'm saying. Now, that's not what happened here. There are obviously, you know, disagreements between the management staff and the, the club, and it goes a bunch of different ways, but I, I think you guys probably understand what I'm saying there. Yeah. 
Um, all right. Well, how about some favorite memories in Lampard's legacy? Obviously, there there definitely were some ups. You know, we t- we you can really sum up you know his results as roller coaster. You know, sometimes very reactionary. But hey, we had some good times. And uh, kudos to Chelsea Youth for kicking it off right. Phil over there says all they want is a chance to prove themselves, a realistic and meaningful opportunity to compete. The stage is set. And it's got the jerseys of Reese James, Mason Mount, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Fakao Tamori, Jamie Cummings, Tammy Abraham, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Andreas Christensen. A lot of players that played a lot of minutes, except Cummings, um, you know, for this manager. And that's that's what Frank did. It, that was like day one stuff, Joe. Frank came in, created a pathway from the youth side of the street to the first team side of the street. There was continuity. There was communication. Um, there was awareness. There was intent. And that seemed to be the biggest win right away from Frank. And I know, obviously, you are a huge fan of that, specifically, not that many of us aren't. Um, but is that your favorite memory of Lampard, or do you have some others that you prefer to go to? Two, two probably stick out. And I think the, the Academy one is big, so... I think for anyone who has who has followed me or since I've had social media for like 10 plus years, any articles I've written, podcasts, et cetera, I think I'm I'm probably known for being very pro-academy and I make no real bones about being very pro-academy. It's something that I like to see homegrown players coming into the squad. I think it adds a bit of depth and a bit of soul to the team. Um, so to see a manager actually come in and finally give equivalence to these players who are actually very good that a lot of people have written off as you know, not good enough or needing loans, et cetera, because they didn't impress in like seven minute cameos on the previous managers. Um, you know, seeing that that pathway established by Lampard. And not only that, you know, sometimes to make a change, you have to be a little bit brutal with it. You have to force things through. I do think sometimes that Lampard played some of the uh, younger players through bad patches of form and maybe through some of those growing pains. But it's not, it's not anything we haven't seen managers apply to expensive signings in the past. You know, uh, Timo Werner, not to not to single him out, but Timo Werner has played an awful lot of football this season for someone who hasn't played particularly well consistently. If that was someone called James Smith from the academy, for example, I'm not sure if they get those back-to-back appearances under another manager. So I think the fact that Lampard's, for me, one of the main legacies and one of the things that I was trying to allude to a little bit earlier about this, this sort of philosophical um, kind of context was that I, I hope that this pathway that he's opened, this this view of academy players now as being being actual genuine players who can play for Chelsea. I hope that that persists. Um, and I think the second thing really for me would be probably the, yeah, probably the the, the celebration after we beat Arsenal and when we beat Tottenham as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I kind of mentioned it a little bit in the opening of the pod, but I, I don't think you will find a manager, a manager or a group of, of staff, I'm including Jody Morris here as a, a guy who grew up about five minute walk from Stamford Bridge, you will not find a, a, a staff who understands the, what that fixture means to fans more than them two. You know, Lampard, not a fan of Arsenal, not a fan of Tottenham. Jody is about as Chelsea as Chelsea can get. Joe Edwards is very similar. I think that the particularly the Arsenal one, there's that great camera shot from behind Lampard that an Arsenal, an Arsenal fan amazingly took for us, which is great credit to him. But you Blessings. can see the, yeah, you can see the raw emotion in his face, the celebration when Tammy scores. Um, those moments particularly as well, because there was a little bit of needle between um, Jose and, and Frank as well, you know, when we were sort of beating them. I think we completely outplayed Tottenham that game as well. One of the first times in a while where I've really felt we were the better team. 
but the celebrations after the game, you could see it in his face that that this this meant more to him than than other wins. He understood the context of the of the rivalry. And I think for me, again, you're talking about those moments of, of real, real specialness. I know people who were there, you know, saying it's one of the best away days they've been to. It was like, you know, super, super special. Um, I think those moments will be will be difficult to top. And again, for me, you know, as someone who's grown up with a club, grown up with these rivalries, having a manager who who not only understands the context, really gets it and feels that that energy of that particular derby, um, but obviously I think it was was able to communicate it to the players as well. So yeah, the, the academy, or you could say the establishment of the academy is probably the number one thing for me, just because it's been something that I've personally wanted to see for 10, 10, 15 years, um, seeing that actually come come true. Um, and then also probably the emergence of Reese James and Mount in, in, in those respective categories. And then, yeah, the, the Tottenham and Arsenal games, the celebration after, I think, was was special. Yeah, I mean, I, I will all go next. I mean, I think the the two things that stick out to me are the academy, and I think Frank Lampard, uh, not not as if he created these players out of clay and and put dollar dollar pounds amount pound amounts uh, next to their names, but by playing them, has significantly increased the value of our squad um, by leaps and bounds. We have to remember that that's a part of a part of this uh, equation, and. In, injected some soul back into to, to steal Joe's phrase and in, uh, injected some soul back into this team, a connection, a real vibrant connection between the the team and the supporters again, after a year of, or a, a number of years of a lot of mercenaries coming and going who are here for a contract and maybe performed, maybe didn't or left under uh, acrimonious terms or whatever. So I, th- I think that's number one. And then I, I, I throw it back, Dan, number two, we were at the Chelsea-Liverpool game uh, late September of 2019. And I remember going into that game thinking, God, I just hope we don't get waxed. You know, I, I was pretty nervous about the, the whole thing. And, and that was even with, you know, I think we played pretty well against them in the Super Cup, probably could have won the Super Cup, you know. Um, and... I, I remember the team and the atmosphere and the the whole game was just so close, neck and neck. And Liverpool were just that much better, and they ended up winning 2-1. But the atmosphere after the game, I mean, he got a standing ovation after the game. And we went down and talked to the Premier League TV guys, and everybody was like, hey, did you see Lampard? Like, that was impressive. You know, Arlo White was even like, hey, this is – you guys might have something here. Um I'll always remember that day. And it's not because we won. It's not because it was the best performance that we ever witnessed because we we saw two wins after that, right? But the buzz and the energy around him and what could be is something I will always remember. I think it's a fair list. And, you know, I think it. I don't want to spend too much time retreading over, you know, all the wonderful things that Joe has said about the Academy. I think that is the full stop the Academy pathway is what Frank's legacy will be, you know, three to five years to seven years to 10 years down the line when Mason Mount has uh, lifted his second Champions League uh, trophy and uh, has won multiple Premier League winners medals. Uh, he'll talk about the influence of Frank Lampard giving him the opportunity to start as a midfielder in his first full season at the club. 
And uh, yeah, that, that will be the, the legacy, right? We'll look back on that and I, I hopefully look back uh, even more fondly on, on that than we did today. Uh, and look, I think there were matches and moments. Actually, um, I pulled out a couple here and you can maybe see if there's one that strikes a fancy with you, um, Brandon. But uh, Greg had put, uh, my favorite moment is the hug between Frank and Tammy after Tammy scored very quickly against Norwich. This a week after the racist horseshit thrown at Tammy after he missed the penalty. Um, I mean, there, there might be a lot of things to be said about Frank's man management, maybe with some of the more senior players. Um, but he, he knew how to, uh, with most of the kids, um, get, get what he needed to out of them. And um, I think that that was... There's not usually that type of connection between the manager and the player, and um, I'm going to miss that a lot. Um, yeah, there, like a lot of these messages, too, you know, are about the excitement that Frank brought to the club and to the team and how he, he literally rebuilt the club. I mean, we were down and out under Mauricio Sarri. I mean, the the factions of fans and... The just, just disconnect amongst all parts of the club and the fans and the players. I mean, it was broken. And Lampard came in and fixed it. You know, again, the academy piece, um, there's some thrilling wins. You know, the win over Wolves was obviously massively exciting. You know, and there was a lot of bumps along the way. I mean, the fact that United had his number was heart-wrenching, you know, just over and over. But... It was the excitement and the love and the passion and the connection. I think that's the biggest thing Frank gave to us again was like feeling connected to the club, feeling like we had a like a living, breathing connection to the club because, you know, Frank was, however you figured it out, was one of us kind of because he was a player and we, we watched him. But, you know, he always talked about the fans, you know, seeing the way he acted in the stadium over and over Um after the match, clapping the fans, the players walked around and, and clapped the fans. You know, it's just the little things came back, I think, from an emotional standpoint. And it's because he respected the job. He respected the fans. He respected the the establishment. And it's just sad that it kind of seems like it just got away from him a little bit at the end. And and this is where we're at. But, um, <laughs> yeah, Frank Frank will, will definitely go down as – He'll be able to come back anytime he wants. The fans love him. That's never going to change. If anything, you have a lot of resentment towards the the club and everything, but won't really go there. I'm interested, Joe, on the what's next, the Thomas Tuchel thing. It's like, do we know what to expect from him in this season? It's still a bloated squad. They're still on a mixed run of results. You still have players out of form. Like... I feel like the, there's a lot of people that aren't going to give him a fair shake, which then you get into the whole, do you support the club or do you support player-manager <laughs> debate, which I do not want to do. Um, but like, Sorry versus the uh, <laughs> Lampards versus the Contes. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it, at this point? A the little Chelsea bit. cultural war. <laughs> but what, 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 do we, what do we think we're going to get out of Tuchel, at least in his first couple weeks? we got Champions League knockout stage with Atletico not too far out there in February. It's all going to hit him fast. Okay, so try and put some put some positive spin on this. Uh, um, okay, so I am I do think Tuchel is a very talented coach. I, I'll put that out there. Um, I think potentially the the thing that he can add in the short term 
is to find a system and structure that maybe covers certainly some of the midfield deficiencies that we have um, while potentially allowing some of our playmakers to, f- to flourish. I think I, I read an article um, and it probably is backed up with some of the games that I saw that he played about 10 different formations at uh, PSG and he's used multiple different formations at Dortmund and Mines in his career. So I don't think sort of tactical flexibility is going to be one of the things that we, we're going to be lacking from. Um, I think the system that he ended at PSG is possibly going to be of interest. Certainly if you want to maybe try and get the best out of Timo Werner, um, and then play him in a number two, uh, play him in a, in a, a two-man look up front. He sort of ended playing this kind of 4-2-2-2, two, 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 which is this sort of old Brazil formation from the early 2000s. Two kind of uh, more, you could say, defensive-minded uh, midfielders, two sort of free-floating playmakers, and then two strikers, uh, width coming from, from full-backs. And that may potentially fit the fit the side in terms of trying to get the, the square pegs into the square holes and round pegs into the round holes. Um, rather than maybe some of the, the, the stuff we've seen from Frank so far. Um, you know, he likes possession-based football, not to, I would say, the same sort of diligence or extremes that we saw with Sari, but that's certainly his his preference is to, is to keep the ball. Um, different kind of profiles he likes in different places. I've seen him play incredibly physical defensive midfielders. Obviously, he played with Julian Weigel with a lot of success in Germany, who's more of a, a Jorginho type, although a better player. Um you know, physical kind of box-to-box players in terms of, of central, central midfield roles. I think what what the main thing will be is that all of this talk about, uh, you know, strategy and tactics and whatever, I think he's coming in to be practical and just to win games. So, you know, if he wants to be here next season, this uh, potential 18-month contract that appears to be on the table, he is auditioning for next season. And I think to do that, he has to find a practical way to get in the top four. And that may mean, you know, compromising on a lot of his... Know, philosophical ambitions to create the perfect system. I think it's just going to be coming and win now. So I think for people who are maybe looking at him coming in and revolutionising the way that Chelsea play and we become this, you know, hybrid of PSG and Dortmund and the Premier League version of this wonderful team, I, I, you know, it, it may well happen. It could be happening and fantastic if it does. But I think the way that Tuchel is, it's going to be a very practical view on the team. You know, the team are quite tired by the looks of things at the moment. There is obviously going to be a huge kind of disparity in terms of morale, um, there are lots of things for him to fix from just from a, like a personnel and, and um, you know, kind of the, the, the morale of the team standpoint before we get into the X's and O's and the tactics. So, yeah, it, it's a unique situation that he comes into. I'm happy that he's come because I think he's accepting the challenge. I think he knows what he's walking into. Um, but we will see how, how things fare because I think, you know, you have to get Christian Pulisic firing. You have to get Havertz firing. You have to get Werner firing. You have to get a lot of these attacking players flying for Chelsea to fly up the table. And for whatever we want to talk about, the club's ambitions in the summer is to target players of the profile of an Erling Haaland of, you know, really top tier quality. And you're only going to do that by finishing in the top four. So it is kind of top four or bust. I don't think that they'll put the pressure anymore. They'll sack him if he doesn't get it. But it, it to me is going you to sure? be, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I've, I've got kind of said that. As I said it, I was like, well, probably he's going to go if, if someone else is available. Um, so I, I don't think, I'll say, I don't think that they will sack him if he doesn't finish top four. Um, but I do, I do think that is the mandate, is to come in and, and by hook or, or by crook, is to is to get top four. So I'm not expecting to see super fluid, free, you know, free kind of football that we've seen at PSG and Dortmund. I think it will be fairly practical. Um, and and we'll, we'll see where it takes us. But it, it's... You know, unless you you figure out how to how to find that midfield balance, how you stop the team uh, looking so open in transition and loads loads of problems that we've discussed sort of ad nauseum over the past uh, couple of months, 
until you figure out some of those headaches, it, it, it's a little bit moot. I think he, he'll be practical and and it's going to be a points-based business. So yeah, he's, he's, he's here to win games. And I think that'll be the, the, the sort of bottom line there. All right. Well, I mean, Dan, there's obviously we'll, we'll do a two goal breakdown later when, if, and when it's officially announced and all that stuff, but just, you know, wanted to get a quick transition, but it, it, we're going from Frank to, to Thomas, I guess that's, that's where we're at. Yeah. It, I mean, look, you don't have to be happy about any of this, right? Like we are not going to prescribe how you should feel and respond. I mean, we should, we, we will definitely recommend taking uh, proactive and positive measures and not uh, harassing uh, players or, uh, vent, you know, vent into a uh, notes draft and delete the draft afterwards. If that is where you really want to uh, place your anger. Um, but Look, you know, I mean, Chelsea is a club. It is bigger than any one individual. Uh, you know, we, we, we saw John Terry have to fight for one year deals, right? Like the, as much as we do try to romance this at times, um, there is a focus on, on trying to get the best results. And now the, the transition is to even if we're frustrated or upset or angry, our despondent is to figure out how do we, you know, rally around Tuchel and how do we, you know, give him some digital love because there won't be any fans in the stands to let him know that we're backing him to be successful. Because if he makes Chelsea great and if he goes on to win the Premier League, if he goes on to win the FA Cup to get top four, we're all going to be happy about that. And regardless of how we feel in this moment, Nick, you know, that that is the one thing that we should try to just maybe center on is that, Chelsea is Chelsea. It is chaotic. It's, you know, wonderful in its chaos at times. It's frustratingly maddening at times too. But the only thing we can do right now is try to figure out how to support the, you know, support the players you want. If you only want to support some players, that's okay. You know, but just cheer, cheer on Thomas and hope that he does well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would hope that he would have looked at the things that have worked to this point. And not try. And my hope is that he won't try and reinvent the wheel on some of this stuff. Um, though I think one of the the worst things that he could do is to look at all the youth talent who have been performing this season and go, "Nope, <laughs> cancel. We're, we're, we're return to sender." I, I you're gonna he's gonna lose the support immediately if he does that, and you know I, that, then best of luck to him at that point. But I, I do believe that he is in the most difficult position that an interim manager could be in. We are down significantly in the table. Villa have three more games in hand on us. Like we went through the table the last time out, right? I mean, it's a hard, it's going to be a hard old fight to get up. Now, if he does it, that will be incredible. It'll be special. And he should be rewarded for, you know, pulling a rabbit out of the hat. But um, he he should have no inhibitions about the job that he's taken on. I mean, this is a real challenge. And to get some of these players who are clearly unhappy to get back on your side and to gel those with the players that are happy is, is going to be a, a really uh, tough deal. So my hope is that he comes in and, and everyone sings Kumbaya and we're, we're ready to go and the team show fight and heart. And they fight for the fans, even if they're not happy with the way the situation went this year. My hope is that we see more of that like we did in, in year one of Lampard. And then, you know, 
Case uh, Sarah. Yeah, well, the uh, the new manager bump comes because the players have to impress said manager. Uh, they have to prove themselves all over again. So fresh slate for these players, for the most part. Um, but yeah, as we as we end it, Chelsea are in ninth on twenty nine points right now. Only a measly victory in our last five. Obviously, not not trending in a great place. Um, you know, eleven points off the top, five points off fourth. The crazy thing is, it's still not like the most. It's just a crazy table. It's a crazy season. But uh, this is where we are today. This is where we are moving forward. Um, but message us social media, definitely get in the discord. I think there's about 7,000 messages sent there today about this whole thing. Uh, you got everything, uh, that you could possibly need in a support system, or even if you want ideas and challenging questions. So, uh, tweed, sir, thank you so much for staying up to do this with us. We know it's, um, you know, something that you enjoy, thankfully, and that you're impassioned about. And so we just appreciate you coming on to kind of share your perspective on a lot of this stuff. No, it's been good. It's been a good little therapy session. Enjoyed it. Awesome. All right. Sappuccino done, ladies and gentlemen. That's <laughs> going to wrap us up. I don't know what this week is going to present. Our whole schedule is completely thrown off guard. So just stay subscribed and we'll we'll get you something this week. Um, but immediately, probably a Tuchel signing and then the Wolves match and, and we'll kind of go from there. So uh, that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Yeah.